welcome back welcome back to 30 to life podcast it's your favorite color in the world brown listen guys we have something new for y'all today we're going to be talking with dr lauren cook lauren is a therapist keynote speaker career coach and author who specializes in supporting people with all life transitions whether it's graduating a career shift or starting a new relationship she's there through all the highs and lows creator of find your why know your way course which helps millennial women make efficient and effective life decisions with confidence she's author of two books name your story how to talk openly about mental health and the sunny side up celebrating happiness all right guys as always grab your pen grab your pad and let's learn you something so lauren thank you for coming on to the podcast we're so glad that you can join i'm excited for our conversations that we're going to have uh so before we deep dive into the many things many topics that you cover can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself yeah absolutely well hey everybody listening i'm dr lauren cook i'm a therapist speaker and author and what i really specialize in and enjoy treating is all of those major life changes that happen in the 20s and 30s those big milestones both the good and the challenging so everything relationally from dating getting engaged to marriage sometimes divorce when that happens starting a family, and then the professional changes too. Everything from graduating, starting your career, whether that's going to corporate, being an entrepreneur, something in between. I really love that season of life, those 20s and 30s. And then the other thing I'll add is that I love treating anxiety too, because anxiety often really comes with these major life transitions, even when it's something really exciting, right? As a a new relationship or a family, all of those good things, anxiety is often part of the picture. And I've lived with anxiety myself. And so I really have a heart for that kind of work. Oh, so I got to I got to jump right in then because you mentioned <laughs> anxiety. So I, I'm someone who, who who has had anxiety their entire lives. And I think I hide it very well. I think mm-hmm. I've learned to cope with it very well. Um, and until I until I discovered meditation, yeah, I said I discovered it <laughs> until I discovered meditation for myself. I feel like that has been a huge help for my anxiety. So. You mentioned 20s and 30s. That was your favorite. That's your favorite, I guess, time or period in life to help people. Do you see that anxiety kind of affects that crowd the most or that age group the most? And why? Why is that? Yeah, that's a great question. I do. You know, it often starts in the teen years, but a lot of teens don't necessarily know it. That's why a lot of teens have more somatic or physical symptoms, headaches, stomach aches, but they don't really necessarily have a name for the anxiety. And then in the 20s, it's like, oh yeah, this is going on. I'm having these thoughts, whether it's imposter syndrome, which I think we really see in the 20s as we're trying to prove ourselves. And then as you start to get into the 30s, you have so many adult responsibilities, right? Especially if you have a little one, like it's getting real. Like you have things that you are responsible for and it falls on you. And that can feel like a lot of pressure and responsibility. And so a lot of my work is helping people sit with that, right? How do you live in that space where you still feel like you have a meaningful life while also acknowledging that life is really hard sometimes. And those fantasies of maybe the teen adolescent years as we get into 20s and 30s and see the real reality of what it actually is. There's a lot of coming to terms in that time. 
Can you give us some like actionable advice? Because, you know, black people, historically speaking, do not trust therapists. <laughs> um, it, I think that we're finally getting to a point where we can say to ourselves, OK, we're not crazy for wanting to see a therapist and, and feel and feel good within our communities. I mean, it's 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 normalizing, I'll say, to keep it easier. So. I know that there are people listening who have never been. And I mean, I've been, Amuki's been, I mean, and we've always preached that it's been super beneficial to our growth. You know, can you, can you like speak to, to that and also give us some like actionable advice to kind of just decrease our anxiety in the moment? Yeah, I love that question. I really appreciate it. And, you know, people can't necessarily see my face, but I'm a cisgender white female therapist. And so, you know, it's very important to me that I am always doing that work of knowing my intersectional identity and how my identity with my clients, how that intersects in the room, right? We all have different stimulus value. When we see each other, we have different thoughts and feelings of how we feel being in the space together. So I think it is so important for everybody listening that you meet with a therapist where you feel comfortable in the room, because if you don't feel safe with that person, the work is not going to happen. You need to feel like you can be in a space to share what's going on for you, to feel like you can trust that person. That's that's first and foremost. And really, you know, I will say that I'm very thankful for. I think our programs, our training programs have done a lot better job in the past 10 years of having dialogues about cultural humility about understanding our identities and how that impacts our clients, really helping clients develop a better understanding of who they are. As we're doing that work, it's really important, I think, for all clients to make sure that you're with a therapist who seems aware of their cultural identity, aware of how they present in the room, right? If I'm working with a client who identifies as African-American or Black, I'm going to talk about the, the elephant in the room that, hey, I'm a white woman, how are you feeling sitting with me? And it's important to me that, hey, I really hope that you feel safe and honored in this space. But if you don't, I totally respect and honor that. And it's my job to get you in the hands with somebody where you do feel like you feel safe and that you can trust that provider, right? So I think that's that's really foundational to the work. I'll stop there, yeah. but I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and I had a follow-up question to that. So, so, you, so how would someone... Uh, find someone who's like an ally or understand the black experience who does, who's not black, right? Because the only way I'm hearing when you say that is you go through the experience, you say, you see, it's not a fit or they don't understand the experience and then you go to someone else. But one, I think that could be costly. And then two, um, it, it, it could be a waste of time. And you'll be deterred from even trying someone else. So what right. what is the best way to quickly identify the therapist that may understand your actual experience. So you can feel uh, strong enough or, or to be vulnerable with that therapist, right? Cause you have to be vulnerable for, in order for it to work and yeah. transparent. Mm -hmm. No, hundred percent Wiki. And you know, two thoughts I have to that one great resource that I hope you can share with your community is therapy for black girls. That is amazing resource for people to find black identified therapists. Also psychology today is great for finding providers. You got to be honest with yourself about what kind of provider you want to work with, whether that's someone who holds the same shared identities as you, or maybe sometimes you want somebody who holds different identities as you. But I think you have to be really honest, no shame or judgment of who you are looking for in a provider. And then again, you need to talk to a provider. I would say 
even have like a 10 minute phone call with them, are they making you feel acknowledged, seen, heard? Do they seem uncomfortable talking about race, gender, all the different parts of our identity? Or big part, big red flag, are they not even mentioning it, right? Are they colorblind in the space where they're not even acknowledging your blackness? That's a red flag, I would say, right? You need to be with somebody who sees you, validates who you are. Again, as a white woman, I'm not gonna pretend to know the black experience, right? I hold curiosity, I hold openness. I always hope to come to the space with humility, right? But you need to be with somebody who you feel like one has some education and is wanting to do the work to learn about themselves and how they show up in the space. And two, really holding that cultural humility, that openness. Um, I hope that helps yeah, as we're talking about that. It does. It actually makes me think of you know my experience when I went to a therapist. And I remember like going through the process of trying to find someone. And, and I was saying to myself, I don't feel comfortable talking to a man. And mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable talking to someone who's not black. Mm-hmm. So, and I, so I, I deliberately asked around for a black female therapist. And for me, that made me comfortable. And I, and I, and I, I was talking to my mother about it and I was, and she was asking like, why didn't you feel comfortable going to a man? And I said, I don't know. And I, I really couldn't explain it, but part of it could be because I, I grew up all around women and it, and it was my dad. So, you know, and I was, it was always easier for me to, to have those, those difficult conversations with a woman versus having those difficult conversations with my father. Um, But but can you, can you speak to why some people feel more comfortable talking to certain therapists versus others? Yeah, no, I think that really speaks to fancy term we'd call for that is counter transference, right? Like we've all had different relationships with different people in our lives, whether it's mom, dad, a teacher, just society at large, right? Like there are huge systematic reasons why people may be untrusting of a white therapist, for example, or a white male therapist, white female therapist. And so we have to honor that, right? We have to validate that. That's a legitimate fear. That's a legitimate reason why that's in place. And by naming that and acknowledging that, that's step one. Right. And we all have different experiences with people that make us more hesitant or more comfortable to share with certain people than others. I will say sometimes we can have a corrective experience with somebody who's different than us, where hopefully we can have a healing experience with that person where we start to remedy, okay, these bad, harmful experiences I've had, hopefully I can have a healing experience in the space of therapy. Um, but you know, that's not always a guarantee and, you know, therapists mess up sometimes, right? We all are human beings. And so how do we work through that in the space of therapy? Sometimes clients, they feel like, yes, I want to do that work. And other times, you know what, that's not a client's job. So it's really up to that client to see what they feel comfortable with and ready for at that season and that time in their life. I love that. Um, I, I want to kind of pivot just a little bit and 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 talk more focused on uh, the mental health part, but also like growing through your 20s and 30s, right? Your 20s is where you make uh, some of the worst decisions in your life. And then you course correct, uh, hopefully by the time you hit 30. But one thing that I wanted to for you to kind of elaborate on or, or take us through is the decision principles that you uh, developed. Um, Because I I often say like, you know, the decisions that you make will either cost you now or later, um, whether it's good or bad. uh, So we'll compound over time. So, so 
if someone's in their 20s now, 30s now, and you know, they're not necessarily making the best decisions or they struggle with being effective or efficiently, can you talk about how decision principles um, can help someone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm super excited because we're actually getting ready to take the decision principles and launch it into a whole new course called Find Your Why, Know Your Way. And essentially the idea behind that is if you know your why, if you know what matters to you in your life, you are going to know the direction that you want to go in. And, you know, something that I find really concerning when you ask a lot of 20 year olds, what do you want to do in your life? What do you want to experience? A lot of them will tell you, I don't know. Right. And that's a recipe for letting life just happen to you. And then we kind of see what happens. Right. I think it's so important, one, to know what we value, what actually matters to you in your life, and how do we set goals that help you get to that place that you want to be going. We really need to be intentional about it and have a game plan day to day that's going to get you there. Now, the other thing that I say with this is that decisions are painful, right? Some of the best decisions in our lives are not easy choices. And I think a lot of times we are very pain averse, especially in that moment, that time when it's, when it means making that right choice for us, it's not easy, right? Whether it's ending a relationship, that's not good for us. Go into an hour to the gym, right? When we want to just sit home and watch a movie or, or drink in that extra glass of wine when really it's like, Oh, that's probably not the best decision for me. Right. Not easy in the moment, even the long-term outcome of that is going to be so much better for us. So I think we also have to have a, a closer look at what pain looks like in our lives and know that we're resilient enough to sit through the short-term pain to get to the long-term gain. You know, I think it's also worth mentioning that pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like sometimes we have yeah. to go through pain. Like it's it's like even like I, I think of the analogy when you're going to the gym and you, you have to actually, you know, lift and, you know, you have to tear those muscle fibers up to get to bigger muscles. I mean, it's just a natural course of life pain. However, it doesn't feel good when you're going through it. So yeah. like, I guess, I guess it's really just reminding yourself, like, this is only temporary, you know? And like, do you recommend like having like, like, I guess mantras or something like that? Cause I, I know I have little things in my head that I say to myself to, to help me remember. <laughs> Cause a lot yeah, of times we yeah. forget. I know I am all for the mantras. My favorite mantra, cause I tend to be a worrier. My mantra is worrying does not change the outcome. You know, mm. that helps me when I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Um, but, you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I tell that with my clients, too, because I think one of the biggest misperceptions about therapy is that we're supposed to feel good after. Therapy is really freaking hard. Like it often doesn't feel good. We are doing really tough work. And I often will say to my clients, just as you would do a tough workout at the gym and you feel physically sore, we're going to do a tough mental workout in here. And you may feel a little emotionally sore and vulnerable from it. That means you're doing the work, right? If I just take it easy on you, how are you growing and stretching and challenging yourself as a human being? And so I think that's something we got to remind ourselves when we are feeling a little overwhelmed by the pain sometimes while still honoring, obviously, when we got to take a breather. I want to dive a little deeper because Brown used the gym analogy, right? And I think a lot of people, one, you know, they they sign up for the gym because they want to uh, improve their health uh, or the way that they look aesthetically. And, but they will go to the gym, let's say new year's, they go to the gym for three weeks and then they don't go for the rest of the year. So it's like, how do you, um, from a, a mentality standpoint, 
actually do the work knowing that you're going through this pain because you know sometimes you can say all the things in the world but like if your mindset's not there yet you're you're gonna quit that's why gyms make all their money in january because you know people give up in february so you know going through therapy going through you know working out or anything for a goal that you may have how do you get from you know a to z mm-hmm It's the accountability piece, you know, and I tell my clients all the time, this is not going to be comfortable for you. This is meant to be uncomfy. And that's a good thing, right? That's an indicator that you are doing the work. I was so proud of one of my clients today because she was super stressed out. And she said, look, I almost canceled on you, but I showed up anyway. And I'm like, yes, I'm so, so happy because honestly, we have lost in a great way, I think our ability to manage what we call distress tolerance, which is basically getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I think in our society, these past five, 10, I don't know, maybe 20 years, but I think social media hasn't helped. We have a really hard time sitting in discomfort, right? Like the second I don't like how something feels, I'm going to go on Instagram or TikTok, or I'm going to binge eat, or I'm going to, you know, do this, that, and the other rather than actually sit with what I'm feeling, right? Or sit with the discomfort. And, you know, Brown, with what you were saying with the mindfulness piece, if we can learn how to be in our bodies, in our emotions, when it doesn't always feel good, there's such good work that is happening there because that's how we actually go through it. That's how we actually are able to take the data of our emotions. But I think a lot of us are numbing out right now you know, so that we don't feel that pain, that discomfort, even though that's honestly, I think what we need in a lot of ways to grow. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of what I learned happened after I became self-aware and we mm-hmm. talk about self-awareness on the show a lot because I mean, Mookie can, can agree. It's been honestly transformational. It's, it's like our lives kind of catapulted after we became self-aware. What do the the medical books that you've, what, what, what do they say about self-awareness and its importance to growth? It's a process. Mm. It's a process. You know, I will say, I think different people hold different levels of insight or curiosity about themselves. I don't know why that might be. I don't know if that's something genetic, why some people are more fascinated with their psyche than others. Mm. But the word that I really like to hold is curiosity. I find that that applies in so many contexts, just getting curious with yourself. I think a lot of times we feel threatened by things about ourselves. Why did I do that? What does this mean that I have this thought? You know, if if people could hear what happens in eight hours a day in a therapy room, we would learn that we all have weird, strange, goofy thoughts. Like we all are people just kind of bumbling about the world, like trying to figure things out. You know, we all make mistakes. We're all flawed. And I think the more we can have compassion for other people and compassion for ourselves, you know, that's, I think, where that self-awareness piece is. Um is is really coming back to self-compassion and normalizing, you know what? We're all doing the best art we can. We're all trying to grow. It's a journey. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a journey. And I think one thing that you all, that everyone has to acknowledge is, you know, the small wins, the, the, the medium wins, the large wins, and also like, be grateful for where you are while working towards where you want to go. Um, and, and you mentioned like the self-compassion. Um, uh, Brown mentioned um, 
uh, being aware, right? Um, but another another component of that is like EQ, emotional intelligence. Yeah. So, like, for for people who haven't developed it yet, what's 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 some steps to get to that place? Yeah, yeah. I love I love conversations on emotional intelligence. I come back to empathy. You know, really having empathy for other people. I think it's so easy for us to personalize when someone treats us a certain way. And, you know, I know I've done that before and really trying to hold when someone is mean or something like that. Like, okay, what's going on for you that you felt the need to to treat me that way? what kind of trauma maybe happened in your life, right? Because the reality is that even by the time people go to college, 70% of people have experienced trauma that, you know, by the time they're 18. And so there's so much happening under the surface of each of our waters that we don't even know. So I always come back to that empathy piece of, you know, if someone treats me a certain way, okay, what, what's getting activated or triggered for you? Because you know, I, I had a, an amazing coach once tell me, you know, his mantra was, you don't know my life, you know, and it's true. We don't know each other's lives. And so always holding that, that we don't know the full story. I think that's helpful when we can really maybe internalize things sometimes interacting with others. So Carl Jung, shadow theory. Yeah. So I, <laughs> You're I, just saying, oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I just, I just stuff is coming to me. It's, it's flowing in my head. <laughs> No, I love so, it. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I read Carl Jung, um, his, his shadow theory, and I got so fascinated with it. And, you know, it talks about essentially having to not suppress your, the things that you typically suppress because it's, it's unhealthy for you in the long run. But there, there, you know, and I thought about that. There are certain things that shouldn't come out, <laughs> you know? So like, what are you, what are your thoughts on Carl Jung's shadow theory? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I can't say I've gotten asked about Carl Young shadow theory in a podcast. Favorite guy in the world. (laughs) I think we all do have a shadow, you know what I mean? I think we all run from our shadows sometimes, but it's this dance of, of the both and right. That what we call dialectical thinking so much of the time we fall into this, like all or nothing, like, I'm either a good person or I'm a bad person because of this thing, or they're a good person or they're a bad person. And I think it's really hard for us to hold the the nuance of like, oh, shoot, like every human being is so nuanced. They do good things. They do bad things. Like, how do I wrestle with that? Especially, I think, in our families, right? Like, I think we're really seeing that this past year with everything that's happened in our country how is somebody I love, how do they do or say these things that I completely don't agree with? How do I hold all that in my brain? Like, it's really, really hard for us to to comprehend, I think, sometimes. So I think if we start to sit with that both and of like, oh, yes, we all have a shadow. We all have good elements to us. I think it allows us sometimes to hold space together a little bit better. And then hopefully beyond that, we build better community. We build better connections. We start to restore safety. Um, that is like a really tough, tough process, but how did I, how did I do responding to your shadow theory question? No, you, you did, you did well. I mean, it, it just made me think that, you know, some people, not, not even everyone, everyone in reality, everyone is, has this persona that 
we want the world to see and it's not the true us. I mean, and so everybody has something and it yeah. helped, it helped me, I guess, take people that I had on a pedestal off of it because yeah. they, they weren't this, this person that it, it was, it's just the person that I see on the outside. There's so much more on the inside that is, is crazy and bubbly. Like you mentioned, it's just that we, we all are like this. So in reality, you know, it's just interesting that we have this, I guess, this persona that we have to display to the world. And, and I guess that's why I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm married and I'm out of, out of the game because I can have this, I can have this, I can be me and be free with my wife and not have to put up this facade in front of people. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's super, super interesting, but sorry. Sorry for the random question. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because the mask we all wear, like it, it's, it's really tough, right? Because I think we have a love hate relationship with vulnerability. Like we love when people are vulnerable because we feel more connected to them, right? Of like, oh, thank you for showing your shadow. Like I can maybe show mine too. But I think sometimes we see people when they do show their shadow, there are like really tough consequences for that sometimes. And so I think sometimes people feel like they have to put that mask on even more. Um and that's, that's tough. That's tough. So, mm, so conversation. So you actually touched on something without touching on it. Cancel culture. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So with Brown, right. In the shadows that we, that you guys just talked about, it's very, it's, I, I think it's harder to even be more of your authentic self in this, you know, um, society where, you know, you easily judged for, uh, opinions that may go against the mainstream. Right. May go against this mainstream. And um, we have an easy platform to talk about whatever we want to. Um, and, you know, your your area of expertise is the 2030s. So, you know, um, 20 year olds having access to social media, not making the best decision making. Right. Uh, and uh, the ramifications for that, like how do how can a 20 year old manage that or um, elevate or grow through that uh, beyond their mistakes without, you know, with the risk of being canceled? Yeah. Ooh, such a good question. You know, I, I honestly think that it's been a big reason that we've seen a lot of anxiety spike up for people um, this past year, hopefully not from a place of like, oh shoot, I'm going to get caught. Right. Because that's, that's the wrong direction to go. Like, no, we need to, learn these things. So we're held accountable. But I think I see people being so afraid to mess up that they're not engaging. They're not learning. They're not making those mistakes to figure out how they can grow and be better and, and connect more with other people. And so it's this tricky dance, right? Of like, how do I learn from what I'm seeing other people do and not make the same mistakes? But also how do I allow myself to be a human living out in the world for all flawed people, right? How do I navigate that? And I think as a 20, in your 20s, especially, that is really, really hard. And I, I do think there is a correlation to why you will hear Generation Z say that they're the loneliest generation. Like when we look at the stats on this generation, they have hardly any friends. They're not really dating each other. It's hookup culture. They have sex with each other. And then they don't actually really <laughs> keep in touch beyond that. Are those things correlated? I think it's something, again, to get curious about. Um, I think we're having a really hard time being vulnerable with each other anymore. 
because we are so afraid of rejection, I think a lot of people. And so we gotta, we gotta sit with that. And again, I think that comes from a place of like, how do we hold empathy when people do mess up? How do we hold empathy that people are going to do the work and, and get better? How do we keep showing up in spaces and not avoid learning just because it feels uncomfortable? It's all these things. So do you think people, some people should, should just toughen up? I mean, cause I, when, you, when you were saying those things and I was, and I was like, I, I agree, but I do feel like we have gotten soft in some sense, like mm-hmm. for instance, bullying, you know, I feel like everyone has gotten bull- <laughs> bullied, but now you can't, you can't, you can't get wait, bullied. Wait, Brian, <laughs> can you give an example of what bullying was like when we grew up? Yeah, like we was getting, like we were getting teased, and cracked on oats, and we just had to eat it. Like we had to just sit back and eat it, and you know, live live the next day, or try, or try to come back with something harder. Like that was our lives, and like, <laughs> and like now, you can't do that anymore. And not not saying I'm I'm not happy that bullying is is being you know, of awareness now to people. But I feel like mm-hmm. in certain in some respects. You know, bully getting bullied toughened me up in some in certain respects. Like mm. it, it made me who I am today. And I mean, I, I had to learn how to come back. I had to learn how to, to to essentially defend myself because the real world isn't all peaches and cream. It's cruel. It's cruel. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. have to you have to be prepared. And I, and I feel like you know when when you when i see programs like anti bullying yeah i get it i understand that you know some things are too extreme children are killing themselves i i understand it but but there's another part of me that's saying to myself like you know i think we need bullies <laughs> cuz bullies are going to be everywhere i mean nobody's nobody's going to help you when you get into the workplace and you're getting bullied i mean yeah it might not be the same type of bullying but bullying is bullying nonetheless mm-hmm. so i mean yeah so that's what what, what do you yeah. feel about bullying now well, let me put it this way. I think we need challengers. Like, I think we need people who are going to ask, ask us tough questions, make us feel a little uncomfortable. We need that, right? Like, that's how we stretch and grow. Like, even today, you guys are asking me tough questions. I'm glad for it, right? Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm a little sweaty, but like... Did you like podcast? <laughs> what? Dirty to life podcast. Dirty to life podcast. <laughs> Like, I need a fan here, you know, but like, that's good because that's where like the growth happens. Like that's where conversations happen, right? Like if, if I didn't reach out to you and say, Hey, let's have a conversation. Like, Hey, it's a lost opportunity for us to dialogue together. And I personally think that's important. So I do think we need to be interacting with people who are different than us, who have different lived experiences. We need to challenge each other. We need to debate each other. Cause I think a lot of times we do get in this, these echo chambers with people who only think the exact same things we do Right. And again, we need to think about safety. Right. Like, I think that is important. But we also got to think about, like, how do I diversify my opinion, diversify, you know, how I'm spending my time and who I'm spending my time with? Um, Or I think we are kind of playing it safe. And unfortunately, I think we're only going to get more divided that way. Yeah, I I agree. I absolutely agree. So so I, I have to I have to say this. Um. You're brave, <laughs> very brave. No, I, I just think that you reaching out to us and, and I, I'm happy you did. But just 
I know you didn't know what you were expecting. <laughs> and, and I and I just appreciate that your bravery. I mean, it definitely is motivating to to Brown, I will say. Oh, well, one of my core values is fearlessness, you know, and I know I'm going to make mistakes like, you know, I don't expect myself to be a perfect human being by any means, you know, but I try and walk the walk, you know, with my clients, not just talk the talk. And that means myself being uncomfortable. Like I just had an audition the other day to like be on a national TV show where I'd have to karaoke sing in front of millions of people. I'm not, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? But, but I live by this value of fearlessness of like, Hey, let's just go for it because that's where I feel like the learning happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's why I mentioned to be comfortable in that and finding comfort in your discomfort. And, uh, definitely you, you, you have it. So, you know, I, I appreciate you displaying that to me. (laughs) Yes. And I want to follow up your courageousness with, uh, another courageous act. Um, we're all married now. Um, on this podcast right now, marriage gang, marriage gang. But um, I want to kind of talk about the marriage part, right? Because you have background and and marriage therapy and and counseling. Um, So, okay, 20s, right? 20s, early 20s, people will get married when they're early 20s. It has now increased to early 30s for um, our generation, millennials. And um, but also women have like this biological clock that also is at the same time and social media has this, you know, highlight of perfection of, you know, married kids and everything. Um, how, uh, for, cause, uh, most of our listeners are women, like how can they find the strength to not get caught up so much and I have to be married or have kids by a certain time in order to be successful. Uh, Cause that's what the narrative is. Since always been this way, um, women are working now, women are, you know, exploring more. Um, so yeah, I kind of, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Great yeah, question. Question. I really do. I think there is still a lot of pressure that women feel to get married by a certain age. Um, and you know, our biological clock is, is a part of that. But again, I I always come back to values. I don't want to sound like a broken record there, but you got to know what you want, you know? And I really do encourage women, especially like go for what you want. Like I I will share time and time again. I asked my husband out on the first date. Like I knew when I met him, like, I like you, like, I'm not going to let you slip through the cracks, you know? And I think sometimes we can wait for things to come to us. And I think we got to go for it, right? Like, again, coming back to that fearlessness thing of what do you have to lose? And don't waste your time, right? Like, I found this to be a really interesting stat that it takes the average person six months to show their true selves in a dating relationship. And that's precious time. That's half a year. And so, hey, show your true self, right? We're talking about the shadow self. Like, Take, take your shadow out, show who you are. Someone will love and embrace you for that. Great, now you know that. And if someone rejects you or is cruel to you, thank you next, you know? Thanks for not wasting my time anymore. So I think we gotta be real with each other about what we're actually looking for in a partner uh, and not, you know, <laughs> not fake each other out because I think a lot of times that happens in the dating scene in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, I mean, men lie. <laughs> 
<laughs> we lie in the beginning <laughs> in the 20s. I mean, but I, I feel like women lie too because you guys, oh, yeah. you guys use your seduction techniques to get us. <laughs> um, I have a lot of friends that, you know, female friends that are just looking and frustrated. And when they explain their frustration, I, I feel bad because I know there are some really good, wholesome people a lot of them and it's just not there and so keep hope alive I like the fact that you said that you shot your shot first for your husband <laughs> um we <laughs> we promote that on 30 to life podcast we we want we we love when women do that because honestly it makes us men feel good when it happens um and look at you you got a husband out of it so you know I think more women should should take your lead and on that one and and just to add to that, I think also, you know, you don't have to like shoot your shot like, hey, like I want to go on a date with you. But like, you know, the the uh, flirty eyes. Right. A guy knows when a girl is looking at you for longer than a couple seconds because women look down. Right. I don't want that guy to talk to me. So if a girl's looking at you like that's all a girl really needs to do is like look at them for a long time, make this look. And they're like, OK, I'm a man. Let me let me go at least say hi to her because she's giving me the eyes. So yeah. women. At least give the eyes if you are looking to date someone who may, you know, be physically appealing to you or intellectually appealing to you. Yes. Oh, so true. Yeah. Give the googly eyes. I like that. Yeah. You can see. I mean, guys start looking down like, oh, she's looking at me or someone else. You look around and stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> yes. So. So. OK. Now that we're, we, we're talking about dating, but the marriage thing, I'm kind of holding on. Um in your um, profession, in terms of marriage, like what are some things that you uh, have seen or believe are, are keys to a marriage uh, staying uh, long and strong? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. Well, I think compromise really is key. I think that's really important that you are willing to compromise with your partner because you're not always going to get your way, you know? And I think knowing that there is such a sense of commitment about marriage, like that is one of my core values in my marriage. My husband and I, we say to each other, like, this is like forever. This is till the end. Like, I don't care how hard this gets, like, unless there's abuse happening, we're in it, you know? And I think really talking about what commitment means to your partner and yourself. Cause I think a lot of times I even had a girlfriend share this with me the other day of like, well, we're married, but we know like if things get kind of hard, then like, we'll see where it goes. I'm like, girl, like, no, this is like, at least to me, it's forever. And so I think you've got to make sure your partner and you are on the same page. The only other thing I'll add, I have seen this be a real challenge in a lot of couples therapy I've done. There are some things that you can't really compromise on. And I think you need to be really clear with your partner what those things are are we going to have kids or not? Like you can't have half a kid, you know, are we going to live in this part of the country, right? Like one wants to live on the East coast, other West coast living in the Midwest, neither of you are going to be happy. So there are some things where you and your partner have to get on the same page about, because I've definitely worked with couples who are eight years in, they still haven't found a compromise. And it's typically, it, those, those are hard situations to resolve. So you have to be honest about what you want with your partner, you know, because otherwise resentment can really build. Awesome. Awesome. And I know you have to go, we have a few minutes. So I have one question. I mean, one last question. Um, we, we talk about decision-making, right. And, and, you know, our listeners are trying to figure out their future, you know, what are they going to go career-wise dating, um, 
uh, I don't know, uh, prayer life. I mean, I can't even think of things, but a lot of different life events that they're trying to make the best decisions for. So what are the steps to making effective decisions for our listeners? Yes. Let me give you the, the quick and dirty of it. So first things first, you got to identify what the decision actually is. You have to name it, right? If you don't get it out on paper or say it out loud, it's not going to happen. And you need to set a timeline for yourself. You've got to set a deadline of like, Hey, by this time, three months, even if it's six months out, I'm going to make a decision because guess what? If you don't, you will always keep trying to buy yourself time. Then you've got to come up with two different options, but I would say three options even better. A lot of us fall into the trap of like, I'm either going to take this job or I'm going to leave it. No, give yourself more options than that because that helps you not get stuck into this either or. Then you need to combine the head and heart. We call that the wise mind. So you got to do your research, take the time to actually look at, do I have the resources, the finances, the time, right? That's all the the research components. And then you got to actually check in with what your heart is saying. What is your gut saying? And I think you have to have both. If you only work from the gut, you don't always incorporate the logic you need. And if you only work with the logic, you're often dissatisfied because your heart's not in it. So you need to have both those things. So those are the, the the quick three tips I'll give there. But if people want more, they can definitely check out my course that launches this May. And it walks you through the whole process of coming to a decision point. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Any final words for our listeners? And then right after that, where can people find you? Yeah, well, I'm just so grateful for this dialogue today. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to hear what people think with our conversation. I hope it gives people lots of different comments, thoughts, feelings, and I want to hear them. So I'm most active on Instagram. So feel free to DM me at Dr. Lauren Cook. I want to know what you think. I'm always wanting to learn from everybody I come in contact with. So if you're a listener and this brought up anything for you, reach out, send a message, and I'd love to talk. Um, Let's see. Other places you can find me is my website, Dr. Lauren Cook. I love coaching. Supporting women in particular is where my heart space is. Uh, And if anybody's interested in bringing me to speak with their corporation or their organization or their community, um, I identify as a Christian woman. So doing any church speaking events, let me know. and would love to talk more. Oh, we missed. We didn't get to talk about uh, uh, faith based, uh, value based decisions, but we'll we'll get to it for part two uh, later this year. Uh, So thank you so much, uh, Lauren or Dr. Lauren Cook. Um, We really appreciate you coming on. We had a great time and uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed it well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to connecting and wish you tons of success for the rest of 2021. Uh, And just for everyone else, uh, as the vaccine is is, uh, growing, as people are going more outside, um, we are, you can probably start taking off your mask, but there's another mask you need to take off and that's who you are as a person. So thank you for so much for listening. This is the 30 to life podcast. It is your boy Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. And thank you for listening. 30 to life, we out. Oh, and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Don't be stingy. Give to the needy and share because the people need to hear the 30 to life podcast. We out.